cut to the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? If you're drowning and I throw you a life jacket, would you grab it? Yes, good. Pick up 200 shares. I won't let you down. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Ask them how they'd like to see 30, 40% returns. What are they going to say? No? I don't want to see those returns? Where's the money, Lebowski? You're going to make a lot of money, right? Be aggressive. Learn how to push. Show them a 3% return. I'll trust you to watch his kids for the weekend. I'm a big fan of money. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I did not know this. That's it. I'm done. Welcome back, Saxon Giants. I'm Tom Allen. Andrew on the board. SB Futures down 8. Andrew feeling much better this morning. SB Futures down 51. The uh, And he claims he was actually under the weather and was not just laid at the slow, and I believe him. <laughs> and that's yeah. the truth. It is. It is. It's the truth. Well, you know. Sometimes the truth is good, you know. When, <laughs> when the uh, what they say when the truth hurts, it should. But this time it doesn't hurt. But he's here, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and we have a uh, we have Mr. Kevin. Yeah. Hey, I have a question. If, if Andrew's feeling better, but how does he look? You know what he looks. Andrew always looks pretty good. Thank you. All right. He, he looks <laughs> fine. You know, he grows up. You know, he could be he could be like Ted Baxter on uh, Mary Tyler Moore. He got the great voice, the great look. We don't know how much research he does, but you know, like Ted. But we think oh, he's smarter like than Ted. Ted Baxter. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 there was a. It was, that was a great. Sh- uh, anyway, Andrew, you're missing the whole thing. Mary Tyler Moore show had a couple of people who were terrific comic writers for the show, but then she also they also the guy who was the uh, news guy was uh, Ted Knight, right? He was the <laughs> well. Uh, Andrew might know him from uh, Caddyshack. Yeah, he was judge a, he was the judge in Caddyshack. Okay, yeah, okay, now I get you. So he was he was the uh, the face on TV, and he had the great voice and the great face, but he knew nothing. <laughs> so they were all giving crap the whole time, and he didn't even know he, he was. He was he was hilarious. He, he was really a funny actor. Plus, he didn't even know they, like their best jokes were wasted on. I don't think so. No, no, I don't think so. I think he's I think he's gone. Uh. I think he's been going like five years. But I remember he was one. Of the, I remember because obviously the movie Caddyshack we all loved. But he yeah, was, he passed away. Oh, he's only sixty-two. He passed away in nineteen eighty-six. He's been gone longer than five years. Wow. It's a, yeah, I, I didn't think he lasted was longer than the movie, and it, it turns out he did not. Um, he hey, had colon cancer. That's, well, that's what got him. Well, that's not a good way to go. There's not any really great ways to go, but that's not a good way to go. Uh, I had a guy I used to work with, and if you asked him how, how he wanted to go, he said, "I want to be, I want to be killed at the hands of a jealous husband." <laughs> <laughs> That's, well, you know what the hell. Um, we talked to uh, about uh, this the sack situation with Lou on Monday because we didn't have Lou on yesterday. He's going to make a guest appearance. He and John are going to share on on uh, on Monday. But I want to talk to you, Kevin, not so much about the uh, the numbers per se. But just about the the huge firestorm regarding these Chevron profits and how they're buying all this stock back, and I, uh, of course, I couldn't I couldn't even watch CNBC yesterday. I could watch it as long as you had the sound down. The the place has gotten such an apologist, and I, you know I'm not I'm not anti business. Everybody knows that for God's sake. I have one. I've always owned one. I have clients. Uh, I, mean, I have my clients in stocks. I want stocks to do well. I want people to make money. But I'm also somewhat aware from back in my ute uh, when I studied economics and people talk about, you know, we have this free market. Well, bull crap. Our, our market in a lot of areas is very free. In a lot of areas, it's absolutely not free. 
and the government has made it so that some people are absolutely not free, and they love it. There's some somewhere, some half-assed between a cartel, a monopoly, an oligopoly, whatever the hell it is. And the fact is, they just are able to screw people because they can. Okay, so, uh, it, but it's not everybody. I mean, your your saloon doesn't do that. They're competitive. Your barber doesn't do that. Your hairdresser doesn't do that. Your farmer doesn't do that. Your trader doesn't do that. Although now there's only three traders left, and, and or four, and they can put. Now those guys, do you call that competitive? Not not on your life. But I, I, I the whole the way our system works, Kevin, and, and critique me here. The way our system is supposed to work is everybody s- makes a makes a prediction. You're in a business. You, you get the capital. You do the infrastructure. Whatever you need to do, you start putting products out there. Some are lo- longer term than others. Obviously, oil is. You got to buy the property. You got to drill it. You got to make sure there's a pipeline or a road or something near it so you can get it out of there. I mean, it's a it's a very very complicated, incredibly interesting business because I had some clients that were oil guys and I just love talking to them. And those guys are gone. Whatever. They were 75 when they came here, and it was 30 years ago. But it was absolutely fascinating. I used to go to these shows where they were trying to sell stuff on oil and gas deals, and they're all different. You know, some you know they're going to get something, and it's this kind of return. Some it's out, it's the first drill, first well in the middle of nowhere, and you don't know if you're going to get something, but if you do, it's a high return. So, I mean, I, I, I understand that the business is, is very... Uh, it's risky. It's very capital intensive. The prices fly up and down that you can't control. So in a lot of ways, the business is, certainly at the gas station level, even now, is, is fairly competitive. More so than, than some others that people think are competitive. But when this hap- when something like this happens, Kevin, I, I, uh, I find it... Well, describe the situation, because okay. I, I, I could stand to be caught up, and, I, and I'm sure uh, our listeners... Um, well, it should would want to hear this too. So when you're saying the Chevron situation, well, it, it should come as a great. As, 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 just give a, a short summary. All right, it should go. It should go as no great surprise that in the last two or three years, when your oil prices have shot to the moon and gas went to five bucks or whatever it went, six bucks in California, that the refiners and the oil companies were were uh, benef- beneficiaries of this largesse. Just just as they get screwed. When oil goes down to thirty-five dollars a barrel, and nobody cares, and, and half of their wells maybe cost them forty dollars to bring them out of the out of the ground, they get screwed, and nobody cares. But all of a sudden, it goes the other way. The, the, you know, geopolitics and whatever takes it to the point where oil's a buck thirty, you know, a barrel. And by the way, they're pulling out of the ground some places for ten bucks. Well, that's like a lot of dough. Not to mention the fact if you have gasoline shortages, and you don't, and a couple of refineries are offline either on purpose or not, but all of a sudden the refinery. Uh, margin goes from you know forty cents a gallon to you know two bucks a gallon or something, and, th- and those numbers at the the volume these people do are dramatic. So I mean uh, it's not like an oil company. If, if oil is forty dollars a barrel or forty five, they might just be bumping along. Well, if it gets to a hundred, uh, wow, you know that's like sixty dollars a barrel they're making like in every barrel. You know maybe not sixty, but say fifty in there. So it it. So, but in our system, Kevin, whatever which, which does not uh, um, find its way to the station owner, uh, not the station owner, God no, no, but the uh, the but, but it, you know it, it might find so, its way. So we know who who, who gets our our uh, ire. But sometimes the bo- sometimes the bottleneck is in the refinery, where the where the refinery spread, the difference between the oil he takes in and the gas he and diesel he pumps out. Sometimes that gets a lot bigger, and the refiner's actually making the money. Uh, sometimes there might be a, a, an issue with 
delivery problem, delivery issues, and maybe the truckers are doing pretty good. So it's like I said, well, with, a, with a trucker shortage, that's yeah. you know, that's right. an issue. There's an issue. So somewhere in there, getting into the market there too. But but the, the whole idea where I'm trying to get to in our economy, that's the way our economy is designed to quote work normally. So if uh, you know Kevin decides to be in the umbrella business in Chicago. And it turns out for the entire summer it rains like every friggin' day. <laughs> so all of a sudden the price of umbrellas go from ten bucks a piece to twenty five because you can't find one. Well, you know what? Kevin gets to have his lucky day. You know, just on the trading floor. If all of a sudden your stock was a takeover candidate and the volume went from a thousand contracts a day to ten thousand, you know what? That that's okay because that, that meant that meant more people came into the crowd instead of the five guys normally standing there. Now he maybe had twenty five. That that's. That's our system, and, 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 and by the way, it's a really good system. The problem is, if it's a specialist system, like in New York what it was, I know I'm changing, but it's the same subject, all of a sudden the one guy says, no, nobody else can come in here. I'm the guy. So I'm going to make all the extra money instead of the, the market maker system on a CBOE where now you had 25 new friends. Well, now the oil, the oil industry all of a sudden makes, makes all this money for reasons maybe that they're not they didn't do anything to, to get but they also if they have a really bad year they didn't do those reasons either so but what my concern is these companies have now taken over so many companies that there's not really that much competition there still is you know on, on, the, on the development end and so forth but there's not as much competition in the refinery area in some areas as, as before so and probably given just the the, dif- the difficulties of starting up and quote the oil business and the government uh, not liking the oil business in a lot of ways, which they really haven't for a long time, not, not just the Democrats. So the chances of you and me, Kevin, even with a young, young Andrew as our, as our junior partner, the, the, uh, the chances of you and I like, getting in the refinery business because we see this margin too big, or we're getting in the oil business, or, or uncapping a well, or, or seeing a, a public... Uh, lease that used to be available that nobody's using that we can say, hey, we'll, we'll take that lease. That's not going to happen. So we, we, we've, 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 cut the, we've cut the competitiveness out of the, out of the industry by a lot of reasons. I mean, we're still going to have Venezuela even make, get their head out of their ass and decide to pump some oil if it's 125 hours. So you still have all that competition going on. And there's still probably 20 countries that, but, now, but then you get down to, okay, Chevron's made a real lot of money this year. You know what? They had a lot of lousy years too, Kevin. So I'm, I'm not holding it against them. But now all of a sudden, the money, instead of putting a lot of it into new, you know, uh, development, which maybe they could, maybe they couldn't. I don't, I don't know what their project, what their list of places they could do. I have no idea, so I can't really criticize there. But the idea of buying the stock back, that that really bothers me, and I'll tell you why. If if you and I invested in in Chevron, and all of a sudden it's our year, you know what? You, you get to have a winner once in a while. One, one day you get to throw the dice and have the damn thing come up seven. I mean, it gets, you know, it gets to be your day once in a while. And I don't have any problem with that. I mean, if I go buy some options today for my clients and all of a sudden the, the stock runs up, you know what, I get to win too once in a while. I don't, and I shouldn't have to explain that to anybody or, or excuse myself. But I don't. this whole idea of buying stock back bothers the living crap out of me. Because if, if you cared about your, your people, your, your people meaning your investors, all you'd do is you'd send them a dividend check of five bucks a share and say, we all had a good year. But we're not going to do that. And why aren't we going to do that? Well, because we have a bunch of the stiffs, the management class that, that Eric talks about, 
and maybe even people on the board, they have all these stock options. So Chevron is trading today. It was up a bunch yesterday. I got a trade in, uh, uh, where are we? CVX is 185.75. It's actually down two bucks today. It's giving some back. I, you know, I don't care about the stock option people. Screw them. So if you walked in to that board meeting, I guarantee you, Kevin, if you got on the board of Chevron and you walked in and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, I don't want to do any stock options. Why don't we just pay everybody a dividend? After all, they're our shareholders. You might as well have just blasted the biggest fart ever in church. The thought of, because of, well, guess what happens? If we give a five-hour, if we have a five-hour dividend, or 10, say, we could say we made that much money. We're going to send out a $10 dividend. What happens the next day? Stock opens up at 175 what happens to my $200 stock options? <coughs> so the, 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 the inmates are running the hen house, or, in, or running the asylum. It shouldn't be about the management class and their stock options. It ought to be about, because in our system, okay, if they don't have the projects, okay, that are, are there lined up for them to go drill more and more and more, like you know the, the Biden White House is bitching about, if they don't have the products lined up, our system is, okay, they made all this money, they distribute the money to the shareholders, now the shareholders get to go invest in Andrew Inc., who happens to be maybe a, a young fledgling oil company that is, is, trying to, is trying to drill three holes. That's the way our system works. But if you just go buy the stock back, they say they're returning it to their shareholders. Kevin, nothing could be s- stupider. You're, buy- you're buying stock back from people that don't want it anymore. How are you giving it to shareholders? All you're trying to do is pump up the price so the people who have stock options make money and i don't give a crap about those people i care about oh let's 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 talk about the characteristics of the least competitive industries uh oil oil would not be one of them refineries maybe now but not oil itself drilling for oil is very competitive and gas stations are still reasonably competitive well yeah actually there are some uh some gas stations that stand out for lower prices but uh but by and large yeah, they're not competitive, although it sure smacks of price fixing. <laughs> well, w- sometimes. By the way, if you're very competitive, I mean, uh, there's only one price for corn, right? But that price isn't fixed; it's competitive, right? I mean, it's fixed be- because nobody can influence it. That doesn't mean it's fixed. Well, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. My point is this: I, I think that the the worst of industries um, that, that government interventions tend to really gorp up industries. That's, that's one of those technical economist terms, gorp. Um, and uh, and this, is, this is an example. So in, in, a, in any prudent type of industry, and, uh, and Dan has come on and he's talked a lot about them in energy sector, but not, but not, as, not the oil companies, but he's talked about, a lot about this in the energy sector. The, the smart thing to do, smart business, is, is that you manage your product portfolio such that uh, the uh, you know so a, a lot of your profits you, you take those cash cow products like you know uh, oil like you know all, all, all manner of oil based products but when you're also saying there are emerging technologies that are cleaner um, and uh, and you know the, and that's important um, and we're not going to replace you know oil's also always going to be part of the mix no matter what anybody tries to tell us. Uh, it's always going to be part of the mix, but it may not be a growth product. And so you invest your uh, your development and your rollout and, uh, and and so on into the into the growth products, um, and that works really well until.
until someone says, no, we're going to kill your industry, and you're not going to be able to make money on those cash cow products, at which point you really have incentivized everybody to say, well, then screw it, let's just take profits however we can. Well, and okay. yes, it, it may be going to the wrong people, um, which, which would be your management class people, uh, and, and, and I'm not going to argue with you that that's not the case. But what I am saying is that you, they have built, uh, you know, uh, they, they, by, by saying we're going to kill your industry, they have built, uh, squashed any incentive for them to invest, reinvest those profits because, um, you know, it, they're not going to be there. They're, they're not going to be there long enough for that to turn into uh, a better, better, cleaner energy sources. But you have to be, you have to be very careful. If if you were the government, okay, government. Ha- I mean, I think they have a since the, the Sherman Act and the Clayton Act were passed, you know, a hundred years ago, hundred and ten years. Um, ago. yeah, but they've been they've been repealed. Uh, they've been they've been repealed just Not by formally, people. but yes, they've been, they've been meant they've been mentally repealed. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but you, but the, but the point being is, how you go about this, uh, Kevin? I mean, if if I'm a, sh- a Chevron shareholder. And they did very well, regardless of all this other crap. And I and I want to be a shareholder for the long term. Okay, I want my money. I want to be able to invest it in the place Dan was talking about. Well, I talked to him yesterday off off the you know man on, on the show, but he had a sub company that some a smaller oil company we'll talk about next week uh, that he liked. I w- I want to get my check, and I want to be able to invest in that company because I'm doing the research. We got a guy like Dan on here. Uh, he finds some of these places, and other people find. Obviously, he's not the only one. Uh, I want to be able to do that. I don't want the people who run the company that I'm an owner of thinking only of themselves. How do I get this stock over 200 bucks? Because that's where my strike price is. And once I sell my stock, I don't give a crap whether it goes back down to 50. Really, I mean, I probably do, but I I really don't. When you see this all over the place, it was illegal to buy stock backs up uh, stocks back out right. t- until 1982. I, mean, I, I don't okay, want the so, management focused so on I, that. I'm not arguing with you about that, Tom. I, I think the um, uh, the morality among many corporate executives, but not all. There's some really great one, uh, great ones out there, but among many is horrible, and and they are there to line their own pockets first and foremost, uh, and and have no sense of their responsibility to shareholders. On the other hand, um, you also have people who are saying I. You know, a I don't want the capital to fly elsewhere. <laughs> you know, they don't want to make it easy uh, for that to happen. And B, hey, if you're going to kill me, at least I'm going to go down but, and uh, uh, make it uh, as best for the best for myself. But the formula, so so you you get a mindset there, and you build in this is this is unintended consequences. People who think that they're saving the planet are really screwing a lot of people. The, along the way. Why do you say? I guess well, I'm not picking at you. I'm saying, but why do you? Why do you say unintended? As, as I've aged, I think all this stuff is intended. I mean, when I was in, I was a, a youth. I was younger than Andrew, for God's sake. I mean, in grad school. I, I think a lot of people in the green movement are just, uh, uh, oh, that, that it is unintended. I, I think, I, I, be, I believe there's a lot intended, too. That oh, yeah. You see, you know, the major investors, the, the Gates type of people, but, they, they know damn well what they're doing. Well, let me, but, ask, um, let me ask you a question. But, but when, I, when I say unintended, uh, I, I think there are just are a lot of uh, um, a, a lot of climate act, uh, activists who have just don't have a clue. All right, well, let me let me ask you this because this is this has been I've been not not fighting this one, but I've been talking about it for God knows how many years since I graduated business school. 
the formula for whether you should pay a dividend or not, okay, and then the, 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 the academic formula. It, it hasn't changed, even though I'll bet you there isn't one of the buffoons, and, and not, they're not all buffoons, one of the, peop- the people on talk- Talking Heads TV and business would even tell you what the formula is. The, the formula is every time you, you make a profit in a business, you have a list of projects that, that you hopefully uh, would like to do as a business. I mean, if you're if you're in the oil business, there's always going to be everybody has the list. Well, there's always um, going to be a new well. There's um, going to be this. There's going to be a new refinery. There's going to add on to a refinery. In many cases, it's a list of things and they never get to it. Well, okay, but I'm saying, but when when you do this, I mean, I, I you know I used to do this stuff for Pullman and other people. There's a list of returns associated with all these projects. Now you could be wrong, but there's a re- there's a project where if the second you get any money. There's, there's an oil well there. It, the stuff is gurgling out of the ground. Up, up from the ground came up from the ground came a bubbling what? The bubbling crude or whatever the hell it was. A Beverly Hillbillies. Bubbling crude. Yeah, and a and a, you, you could have oil like that, like the Beverly Hillbillies. And you sit there and go, the first nickel we make, we're going to invest in that project because our return is going to be 100 percent. For God's sake, we're idiots not to. And, and then there's going to be one that might be 90. Then you're down to I don't know. I guess we could put another well there. We already got 90, and now we make it 91. And we well, know or, or some project is just going to be a pure research project right. to see if there's a market there or not. But and then, but when you get down to a certain level, you get down to the level, if you care about your shareholder, where you say, okay, if, if Andrew puts his money in PTI, all right, and we're making a bunch of dough, and he's getting a 30% return or a 20% return, and all of a sudden PTI has, you know, whatever we have, 50, 50 branches, 100 branches, 200 branches, and finally... We have a year we're making so damn much dough. God, I can't. Oh, this be great to have it. Plus, we only have, we only have one branch. But the, or, or if all of a sudden I say, you know, this next branch, we're only going to re- we're only going to get back eight percent on this. That's if we do well. I'm going to say, you know what, Andrew Andrew can do eight percent on his own. He he doesn't need me to try and to try and if he can do that on his own and finds another company, he might find a young PTI somewhere. You know, it's it's up to me to say, all right, Andrew, here's a check. I mean, of course, I'm an owner, so I'd get a check. It's up for me to say that. But now, en- enter the tax law. Okay, now, wait a minute. Our corporation's got to pay taxes. And if I send Andrew the check, he's got to pay taxes. So if you put the, the tax piece into the, this is the Warren Buffett argument. I'm never going to give you a dime, no matter what. Because because of the tax law, because of the double taxation, no matter what I do, if, if I go out and, you know, and, and buy an outhouse, it's going to be better in my mind than when you do you know, buying a plumbing company. You know, I mean, the, so all of a sudden you have the incentive for these firms to get way bigger than they ought to be. Buy another firm, buy another firm. Well, do I really want Warren Buffett to pay 60 bucks for, uh, I'll pick a stock here that's trading 30. Okay, I was Cisco. Do I really? Of course, Cisco had a clunk the other day. But uh, if I do, I really want Warren Buffett to pay a hundred dollars for Cisco, or if he gave me a check, I could pay forty-eight dollars for it. No, I really don't. But it reaches that stage for him to say, "Well, if I I'm paying tax, if I give it to you, you got to pay taxes, no matter what it is." Well, for, now my question, Kevin, everybody's known this for seventy years. Now, do you think that the reason why we we haven't gotten rid of the double taxation? Is because the people in power want that excuse to never give anybody some money? I mean, does Microsoft have to be that big? Why don't Why aren't they just paying people dividends? They, they have projects that they that aren't very good. They don't necessarily have to take over the next company. Google the same way. But what they're telling these people is, we're giving you the cover to never pay a dividend or pay some ridiculously small dividend. And uh, and I, I don't. I think that's intentional. 
I really do. I, I mean, it, otherwise, it's so logical that it shouldn't be that way. And it, it's it's very obvious to me that, that corporations should pay taxes, and if they pay a dividend, they should be able to subtract the dividend from their profits and let the person on the other end pay. There should be only one person paying. It's been obvious to me yeah, for well, 50 years. People who lobby government know damn well what they're doing. I think a lot of the people in government just are clueless. Well, I mean, you, I, I don't want... how the economy yeah, works. I, I want somebody to tell Warren Buffett, hey, you got $50 billion sitting there doing, you're doing nothing with it. I want a piece of it. And I said, well, no, you got to pay taxes. Don't worry, I'll do better for you than you will. Uh, I, I, okay, but wait a minute, you, you can deduct it. Just send me the dough, chump. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to see that happen. It's, it's not going to, Kevin, ever. It, it, it makes so much sense. Why? Why wouldn't it? It's like it's like Rastenkowski. He was uh, doing a breakfast at the Cebo with us, and he goes, "All the years I've been in in here, all I wanted to do on the on the capital gains tax, he goes, I just want to index it." He says, "If you buy a house or a, whatever a business ten years ago for a million bucks, and your and your your uh, inflation has been five percent a year, and you sell the house for or sell that place for a million two you're not making any money. You shouldn't have to pay anything. If you bought it last year for a million, and all of a sudden there's been like one percent inflation this year, and you sell it for two, he goes, "You actually made a million bucks." Then he's, he goes, "Why don't we just index it?" Because nobody has an argument against me. He goes, I, "I've never been able to get any traction whatsoever on that." Where you look and see your capital gain. Oh, what year did I buy it? Here's the interest rate, and and, and it goes. I mean, it's, it makes so much sense, Kevin, that it, that nobody wants it. People want to be able to buy something for a year and, and get pay half the taxes, right? It has nothing to do with whether or not, you know, there, there's actually been appreciation in the price that it wouldn't be considered profit. It has nothing to do with the economics of it, does it? It has to do with people pe- pe- people trying to make out on the deal. Or where am I wrong? Well, you're not, but I'm, I'm going to go back to the point I made. Yes, that there are people who definitely want to engineer it this way. But you also have, um, you know, you, you get people in government who have no idea um, what, uh, how something works, what has to happen, and, and, and they can be persuaded. You know, what, what's the greatest example of that? That was when uh, the uh, guy from MIT, uh, Jonathan Gruber, sat down with uh, President Obama, who absolutely did not want to do a Cadillac plan tax on, on Obamacare and, uh, until... Gruber sat him down and told him how many hundred billion dollars he would get out of that. Um, and, uh, you know, that that's the guy who famously said, we count on the stupidity of the American voter. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, so that's a factor, too, is we, we aren't a well-educated society when it comes to this kind of thing. So the average investor doesn't, you know, uh, do it, especially if your investment is your 401k. Um, then then you're, you're definitely not, you know, you're, you're not going to be demanding on the whole you know we're talking about you know thousands and thousands of people who have to be demanding but uh, but we're not so there's a lot at work in there and and you're right it turns us into um, a, a non-competitive economy uh, an economy devoid of competition and that's not that's, this is not good it's not healthy not um, healthy in the long run and, and we keep we keep doing all kinds of other things you know the latest is um, that uh, we, we have just uh, decided to kill uh, mining in uh, in the Duluth area um, of of all kinds of minerals. These are all the minerals that you need to do things like electric cars. This whole green movement. So we are talking about 
you know, uh, we, we are talking about cobalt, copper, lithium, nickel, graphite, zinc, all those kinds of uh, products that, uh, that, we, that we actually do have um, stores of. And now we're saying we're going green, we're killing oil, and we're going to have to go overseas for well, all this Well, some crap. people, it's going to break here, but some people... We're, we're just stupid. Well, some people actually live the life. I mean, they go green and you see them biking in when it's five below zero. Those people, I, I, I have no issue with that. <laughs> it's the person I respect t- people who put their money where their mouth is. Yeah, but, but the, the guy um, who flies in his private jet to give a lecture and go on green, give me a break, Charlie. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I keep saying, I, I will decide that there's a climate emergency... The day that I see Bill Gates and John Kerry flying commercial oh, yeah. instead of private. SP Futures down 10, as if he's down 55. Be right back. Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. 
Stocks, jocks, stocks, and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Lord of Apex, Action Jacks, I'm tomorrow. Andrew on the board. SP Futures down 13. The SP Futures down 64. Dow Futures down 7. Interesting move in the Dow here. American Express had good earnings. were up 850, 846 to be exact. Uh, and this I'm going to talk to Mr. Kevin about in a minute. It's like a third question I have from Intel. What an absolutely clunker quarter. Down uh, 3 bucks to 2709. Here, let me click Intel up here on my chart, even though I'm in the midst of uh, traffic weather sports. How the hell... I'm going to go back here to uh, when was the chip shortage was somewhere, I'm going to say, early 2020. Uh, where are we? Six, two, 224. Tw- uh, Intel's $55. Hours. They have a chip shortage where nobody can get them. Everybody's paying through the nose. Everybody's paying people off to get them. How the hell is the stock half the price it was after three years of chip shortage? I, 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 this astounds me. But... It, but Maybe Kevin will have a better clue, or, or Carl, but I, I, I'm just totally lost, but I have been for a while. We're in Europe. We've got the DAX up 22.1%. FTSE up 9.1%. CAC around up 58 cents. Call that flat. So uh, Europe is green, but uh, very slightly green. Way of review, yesterday Dow was up 205. S&P up 44. NASDAQ up 199. So another big day. We've had like four or five days in a row. We've been to the upside. Asia, a kneecap 19. Call that flat. We still have the uh, Hang Seng. Well, wait a minute. Hang Seng actually opened last night. It was up 122. That's 0.5%. Shanghai up 24.7. So they've been open. Actually, the Shanghai had not, did not open, but the Hang Seng did. Shanghai is still not open. The last traded on 120 because of the, the Chinese New Year. Uh, Bonds up 6 basis points, 3.55. The Bund up 5 basis points, 2.26. Japan up 3 basis points. We're right up against the top end that they say they're allowed to float to 0.49. It's supposedly 0.50 is the top before they start... Uh, influencing again, it's a good term, influencing. Uh, we've got gold up a buck, Chuck, uh, 1931, still over 1900. Silver down 17 cents, 2384. Those that absolutely are all over me saying you gotta, you gotta get into silver because it's gonna come back to gold and gold's outpaced it. And oh, by the way, silver is used more in industry. I agree with them, it just hasn't happened yet. Now, whether it will or not, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I've got Bitcoin down uh, 176, just barely under 23,000. 22,928, and we have the U.S. dollar uh, up a little bit. We have the, the, the pound down to 1.23. We have the euro still up by 1.108. So they're right in this area. They haven't really moved for a while. It's up and down right around a very narrow range. Andrew, what do you got for us? Traffic weather sports. All right. It is uh, 6.38 here in Chicago on January 27th. Uh, let's see. Starting with hockey, last night the Blackhawks won over the Flames 5-1. to one. And the Coyotes won over the Blues, 5-0. Going over to basketball, the Bulls lost to the Hornets, ending 111-96. Like the second-worst team in basketball, and they were had a big lead. <laughs> well, like, not anymore. No. But, and then with that, another loss, the Suns lost to the Mavericks, 99-95. Uh, going over to Chicago weather, it's currently 60 degrees, partly cloudy. Going to have a high of just 34 today. Hopefully, it gets a little bit warmer. Over in Phoenix, they're at 38 degrees, clear skies, and they're going to have a high of 62. Now, for Chicago traffic, there are thankfully no major accidents to report. Uh, not too much traffic building either. A little bit on the inbound Dan Ryan. But that's all I got for today. Back the, to uh, Kevin, all right, explain something to me. I'm just a simple guy from the south side. If you would have told me three years ago that there's going to be this 
massive supply chain problem. Nobody can get a chip. Cars are going to go up by 25 30% because they can't get chips. What's the first thing a dumb soul like me would do? I'd go out and buy the chip companies. I'd have gotten my ass kicked. How, how can that even be? <laughs> because the, you know, the, the uh, this is a classic demand amplification issue. It takes a long time for a market to work itself out in, in a positive way um, and to get back into some kind of equilibrium. And the, everybody is scrambling to figure out what it is they're supposed to do. But there have to have been some months there where a chip that somebody normally makes and sells for 15 bucks had to be going for 40 But where'd all the money go? Well, don't know what to tell you there, other than you know most of the uh, most of the chip money has been, and most of the chip manufacturing has been in Taiwan. So, uh, you know, or or a substantial amount that was a big part of the problem is uh, is how much of it, um, uh, you know, how much of it was inaccessible. Um, so, you know, it, it wasn't a matter of making them; it was a matter of getting them, and and getting the right kinds and getting the right kinds of chips uh, in the. Uh, um, you know, it, it, to the right places, and, and and of course, you throw in everything that we had uh, uh, we had wrong. And, and I don't even like supply chains as a term. I, I really, you know, I try to catch myself in that. And we talk, we really should be talking about you know the networks, and because right. it, it's more neural than the straight ahead chain. But um, you know, you, you've got people scrambling to try and. Uh, you know, to try and get things in the right place, and just about the time they do, it's not true. It's not, you know, everything's changed. And and the, so they're playing this giant game of whack-a-mole, and that's that's a big problem. Well, when Trump came into office, his his campaign, the last six months of the campaign, or four months, or whatever, all he talked about was basic industries and how the hell we can build ships without having, you know, steel companies here and all this kind of stuff. I, If I was more of an index guy for my people, but if I wasn't, I would have had some steel companies in in the in the in the portfolio, and the minute the guy got elected, they went straight down. My brother has a bunch of guys that uh, clients at PTI that are uh, wanted to put together and have. I, don't, I mean, he he does it more than me. Uh, in the electric supply, electric car supply business, you know, they've got all the places that do the the uh, charging stations and all stuff, and it's a really nice portfolio. And I'm going to say only because. Dan has managed to help my brother. Has managed to help him out with put protection and other stuff that they've had their their their, their neck above water because those things do nothing but go straight down. I mean, they, you you would think that you would you would actually want to invest. I mean, the whole idea of, of Warren Buffett. Well, if you hear about an industry that's a growth industry and you like where it's going, you buy it. God, if you'd have done that the last three years, you're getting your ass kicked. I mean, it, it's it's a it's an odd world we're in, Kevin. I mean, it was. Investing was never easy, but I tell you what, it's it, it's really a challenge now. I mean, I, I there's, I'm just just saying. Hey, I got a I got a quick story for you, and maybe I, I agree. And and really, I do think you know if we go back to the model that we were talking about earlier, where um, you know there, there's companies, you know, it, it would be nice to invest into um, uh, in in new startups that were were doing innovative things, and certainly if you can catch catch one of those and, and ride the wave long enough, that might be a good investment. But I do think that uh, a lot of what really needs to happen is for the companies that are already in 
different industries, and as those industries are changing, they need to be plowing money into the growth products, um, and the, and they you know they need to continue to make money with the uh, with the products that have always made them money, but ultimately some of that's got to get redirected in. Otherwise, you're just winding down your business. Well, see, Kevin, um, that's that's the way in and, theory. And I, I think I think you're you know you're seeing um, the the investment markets are trying to figure that out too. I. I, th- I think you're, what, that's the way our system is supposed to work. And what I'm yep. saying is, is, the, is the tax law and the rise of the management class who feels like they deserve bazillions of dollars for doing God knows what, that, that's it's essentially put a monkey wrench in, into the business. The idea is if you and I are in the oil company, well, let's put it this way. I'm in the securities business. All right, so all of a sudden, for whatever reason, um, one year that – you know, whatever we we, all, fifty people with ninety bazillion dollars walk in my front door in one day, or my PTI's front door, and I have I have all this, uh, you know, I do a nice job for people, and all of a sudden we got you know, forty billion under management, like the, some of the guys here on TV, and all of a sudden we make an all, a whole bunch of dough. Okay, well that'd be nice, but I I'm not gonna, I, I might you know spruce up the office and, and do some stuff and do some things I've always wanted to do, but by and large if we made Thirty million dollars this year. What, what am I going to do with it? I mean, I guess we could open up a branch somewhere. If all of a sudden the clients are coming from Phoenix or from LA, maybe we'd think about doing something like that. But by and large, I, I'm not going to go into the, the auto business. I'm not going to go buy a. I don't know anything about it. I mean, I'm not going to get in the auto parts business. I'm not going to go buy a gas station. What, what my job is to turn, give it to my. No, and and there aren't very many conglomerates as a result of that. You know, well, my uh, job, my job is to give the uh, money. Berkshire Hathaway yeah. is an anomaly. It's not. Remember, remember back in the eighties, everything, everything was all about conglomerates because we can take our management and we can run any kind of business if we're good at management. We can do it. Well, it turned out that wasn't true. Well, they also had. Oh, so, um, they also had. Uh, we, can I get technical on you for a second? They also were able to take goodwill as profit, or and and up in a which. Which is, uh, which means they were making money by buying places when they really weren't. Remember Goodwill? Yeah, and then and then five years later, you found out that the acquisition was dilutive rather yeah. than agreed. Right, uh, but but the uh, I, I'll go into that one of these days, maybe when Carl's on, but because uh, I, I forget some of it. But I mean, the, the the idea is for PTI if we have a great year and all of a sudden we do what they're supposed to do, and you're an investor, I'm supposed to take you out for a beer because there's only a few investors. And I would say, not only, Kevin, am I, am I buying your beer, but here's like a million-dollar check. Then it's up to you to say, great, I did well at this PTI place. Now I'm going to take this million dollars and put it in Andrew's drilling company. That, that, that's the way the world's supposed to work. I'm not supposed to give myself a, a $30 million bonus, give you nothing like people are doing. I'm not supposed to decide I, I belong in the liquor business and go buy 14 liquor stores. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, you, didn't, you didn't pay me to do that. You paid me to do what I'm good at. Right, or that's what you invested in. I mean, I mean, this is getting really weird, the way people are doing this. Now, of course, PTI is a partnership, so you don't have to pay twice. But you know, if it was a corporation, I guess I could make Kevin. I'd really like to give you your million bucks, but man, you got to pay twenty percent of taxes on this. So guess what? I'm, I'm getting a liquor store. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be nice to you. Yeah, not give you a yeah, I'm going to be nice to you. I'm not going to give you a dividend. I mean, I, I guess you'd fall for that. I don't think you would. <laughs> I've known you too long, <laughs> but everybody else is right. We basically now I'll share. I'll take the cash, thank you. That'll be fine. Yeah, I'll be fine. Just, just so I, I got a, I have a question uh, about. I'm going to probably talk more about it with uh, Lou next week. But 
what's the story with this White Sox guy? And, I, of course, I get a call from one of our listeners and buddies from the South Side. God, God, our people from the South Side, bizarre. Uh, you know, because, I mean, I am, and you, you, you're like a, you spent some, so, many time, so much time with South Siders, you've almost become one. Uh, the story is, what's the guy's name on the Sox that is being accused of, uh, uh, is it girlfriend abuse and son abuse or something, something? The Sox just signed the guy, right, for like a bunch of dough. What's his name? Uh, is it Clevenger? Benninger? Something, something. Yeah, Clevenger. Uh, so, allegedly now, that the Major League Baseball has been having this investigation for six months. And the Sox just signed him. And now the story is that the Sox knew nothing about the investigation, which... So, of course, I get this call yesterday with a Southsider, a family of 10, and he goes, God, this Rick Hahn guy's got to be fired. And I said, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know anything about it. This is just a question for Lou. I try not to talk about stuff I don't think about. I said, I, I don't know. Maybe Major League Baseball actually uh, did keep it a secret and didn't tell him. I don't, I don't know why they would, but uh, evidently they, maybe they did. And he goes, well, then he's really, he really should be fired. I go, what are you talking about? He goes... If you've been in the business that long, and even if you're nobody, even if people aren't supposed to tell you, if somebody doesn't give you a wink and a nod, I said, okay, wait a minute, you're not going to tell the guy, but you're going to wink and like, <laughs> well, yeah, you know how that works. If, if if you don't have if you don't have your ears to the ground and can't figure out this has happened, what good are you? <laughs> is that is that such a south side definition of the world, Kevin? <laughs> well, it, it is. What, you know what most major league teams do is. Um, they will do. They will at least run a background check. Now, a background check's not going to. It's going to tell you criminal convictions, um, depending on who you have. But a lot of them would hire a private investigator, um, specifically if you're going to pay somebody big money. Now, Clevenger was on a one-year contract, so it wasn't huge money in terms of uh, uh, you know by or, or a huge commitment by Major League Baseball standards. But nevertheless. Um, when, you, when you're going to uh, drop several million dollars into somebody, it probably makes sense to spend a few thousand bucks on a uh, private investigator to make sure there's no skeletons in the closet. So to, in that regard, yeah, it does make the White Sox look like um, like they did not do their diligence. Well, if it's an investigation in early stages, how, so, so, so what is an investigator? He knows all the policemen or the... Or the, or the the people at the FBI and oh yeah, they they're just good. You know, hey, you uh, don't you watch TV? Well, it's no, a don't man. you watch Peter Gunn? Yeah, I, I uh, stop I stop watching TV because uh, you know Harry O. Come on, man. You know what? Um, I'll, I'll watch. But, I'll watch. Know, uh, seriously, the um, the you know, yes, they can find out. Uh, they, they can do some digging around. I've and, turned and, you into uh, a cell and Find out all kinds of stuff about people, and and they do that. You know, uh, uh, pro football does it. They have they have whole departments in their teams that are nothing but um, you know security and investigations. And before they draft a guy in the first round, they don't get surprised very often by this kind of stuff. Uh, as one of my attorney buddies said, if there was no NFL, you'd need another prison. Possibly. I don't think baseball is quite the same way, but maybe maybe it is. I don't know. But I mean, I well, there's there's always a certain part of the population that is involved in things like domestic abuse. Just you know, just like you know, you can get away from athletics. How do you um, how do you find that you out? Know, you know, people who come up through our athletic system probably feel a lot more entitled than the rest of us. Okay, but if uh, I guess in, in a general in a general sense, but. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, you know, if there's an investigation going on into this guy from, from MLB, there's got to be people who could dig into it and find and discover that. I, uh, 
I guess I, mean, I, I don't really know the process. I guess I could ask ask my lawyer and judge buddies that I see once a week. I don't really. I mean, I never thought to ask. I mean, I don't really know the process. If, if you if somebody files a complaint, I guess if you if you file it with the the, the local police district, it's probably public. I'm not sure. If you file it with Major League Baseball, I don't know what is that. I mean, I, I have no idea. Are they, is it their responsibility then to to call in the, the law enforcement, or do they investigate themselves, or both? I mean, these are all great questions for Lou on Monday, but I don't even really know the process. And and uh, but I just I just love the part of the conversation was no matter how secret it's supposed to be, if you can't figure out what's going on, why 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 do we have you? <laughs> what 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 a great mentality though, Kevin. It, you got to admit it's it's classic. <laughs> you know, I thought it was uh, funny. I, I, here, here's something else: is the uh, the Padres were aware of it. You know, his former team. Oh, okay. Uh, they they had actually issued a statement saying we were aware of MLV's investigation and completely support their efforts under the Joint Domestic Violence, Sexual Assault, and Child Abuse Policy. Um, during the ongoing investigation process, we cannot comment any further. So that that was. You know that was uh, when the when the news broke. That was the uh, the his former team's posture on it. Oh, I uh, I just you know my my, my guys they uh, they see both sides of this, and I I think that anybody who you know smacks up some lady is a pretty awful dude. I mean, I, I I'm, you know you're never going to get me to to say that was that was a good thing, but uh, these guys will tell me that the the incidents of complaints that are totally unfounded, people just looking for money, are all over the place. And I don't I don't, I don't know how you, boy, I don't know how you even resolve that. I just hope it never happens anywhere near me. I don't I don't I would want to be a general manager, and all of a sudden five people, whether it be men or women or whoever it is, say, well, God, somebody smacked me last week. Okay, well, where's the bruise? Well, there's no bruise. I mean, I mean, I, I don't know what. I mean, did you go to the emergency room? No, I did. I mean, I, I mean, I have no idea how to even deal with something like that. I mean, I'm just glad I haven't have, ever never had to. But I know a couple of people that I you know will go nameless. Well, it's it's a two way pathology usually, yeah. especially if it lasts for any length of time. And there are, there are people who are smart enough to say, "Hey, you hit me once." You know, some people that well, it was just the one time. You'll never do it again. Baloney. Yeah. Um, so that's the uh, you know that that's your cue to get out of the relationship, whatever it takes. But there you know there, there's a lot of people that were raised in in households where. Uh, you know, different kinds of violence were typical, and so you know, it's the old uh, expression that uh, I may be knee deep in poop, but at least the smell's familiar. Yeah, it, you know, it's it, it it becomes a a normal situation until it becomes intolerable. Well, there was a, a classic Mike Royko article about it when he he said if you want to find out how horrible it is and what's going on, he says you. This is years ago, uh, you know, and I think obviously. Uh, Things have gotten a lot better for, for both sides, men and women. Um, but he says, oh, just go sit in one of these courts. And you'll sit there and there'd be a lady, and some guy smacked her or, or whatever. You didn't see too many guys taking ladies to court because they got hit up the head with a, with a frying pan, but I'm sure it happened. Uh, I don't think anywhere near as much, obviously. But So at the end of the day, the judge says, well, what do you want me to do? And the lady says, just tell him not to hit me anymore. You know? Don't don't tell him never to come near me. Don't tell him I don't want a father for my kids. Don't tell him that he should lose his job. I don't want this going to his boss. I mean, it's it's really really a tough issue, and, it's, and it really isn't something that should be tried in the uh, court of public opinion. I don't think. I mean, it's every one of them's got to have their own story, and it's a really private, really awful thing. I mean, it, anyway, I just 
It's well, and, and you know, and, and I, you know, I know where Lou's going to go with this, and, and he's right that uh, you know accusations are there. There shouldn't be uh, uh, employer action based on accusations. It should be based on convictions. However, um, you also have to remember that MLB teams, Major League Baseball teams, athletics teams in general, need to sell tickets, and they don't want to win alienate half of their fans, which is women. Yeah, I just don't. At the end of the day, if you've got a... You know, and, and frankly, more than half of their fan base, because that's also men who are appalled by this. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, well, I don't think anybody thinks it's a good thing. Um, Kevin, I, we only have a few minutes, but let me give you your kind of view on, on the stock market here. And I, it, There's something going on here that I... that I, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of sensing, and I don't know if I'm just being a knucklehead or what, but the last week or two, we've had the market really go straight up. And... Uh, and you know, which is you know good for my people, good for a lot of people that obviously have stock. Uh, and I'm not disparaging it, but I get this sense that in the, in the last three years we've had this horrible COVID situation. We've got I'm going to go through these numbers with with Carl, uh, the the the, uh, the uh, deflator number and stuff that came out yesterday, and then the GDP number and all that stuff. And all. I think I think it's all BS. But anyway, I'll go through that with Carl. I won't, won't bore you with that. But it's it, it, it's really weird because we we our government have have taught people we went through this COVID situation where under anybody's any any common sense we shut the friggin' economy down for God's sake there there has been no bigger recession ever in our lifetime than happened in that eighteen months and we won't even <clears throat> but the uh, the Federal Reserve at, at, the, at the White House's request, probably, and every, the rich people's and bankers' request, poured so much money into the system that the market actually went up, and people made a fortune, and you, you gave money out to people unevenly, and a lot of people just got so much dough from the government, you made a bigger, probably the biggest gap between rich and poor than we've ever done. Okay, so we did that. Now, I'm set, whatever, you can criticize it, not criticize it, doesn't get me anywhere. But now, you look at the last week, every single time a number comes out, and the number is horse bleep. You know, we got people getting laid off all over the place. This number is not so good. Retail sales are terrible. Intel is a horrible quarter. All it does is, is tell the investment class, that's terrific. If we go into the rat hole again, all this money is going to come pouring in, and I'm going to make money. What have, we, what have we taught people by saying during COVID, that your, your your market actually went up by thirty or forty percent or fifty percent. I mean, what, when when the market because we're going to make it go up with funny money. What are we, are we the Weimar Republic now, or are we Argentina, or are we Venezuela, or are we Turkey? What are we? I mean, that, well, that we're that out of control. And re- remember our discussions, uh, you know, back at the time um, when we said, you know, we said maybe you think that all of this is that this is necessary. Um. You know, so even if you were to grant that thought and say this, you know, this kind of uh, spending is necessary to keep us, uh, you know, to keep everything afloat and and so on. Which, of course, we did everything wrong during the uh, uh, the whole experience. But let's say let's let's just say for a minute we'll go with the assumption that it's necessary. The problem is that we've been so irresponsible for so long that we can't afford to do what's necessary. Right. Oh, absolutely. No and and so that's you know the 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 problem is part the spending of the last few years, but it's also part the spending of the decades before it. Well, I I really and so so that you know that irresponsibility came home to roost, 
in, in a very big way. And, and the next problem that we have is that the solution is not a next-year solution. It's not a five-year solution. It's a much longer-term solution. And so we have to get ourselves on a path to getting fiscal responsibility back in government and trying to get a handle on uh, working down debt. And we're not going to do that because ideologically we're just going to lurch back and forth well, we're gonna, before to eight years. Well, both, both parties. So we're not, you know, we're, we're going to undo the path. And in fact, the only way we're ever going to get on the path is by executive order. And uh, that's a crappy way to operate but, government. But we have two ways of doing it, of going down the, the wrong road. Republicans cut taxes. They tell you it's going to be accretive for the economy, and it isn't, so the, the deficit goes up. And the Democrats spend money and tell you that their investments are accretive to the economy, and they never are, and the deficit goes up. We're, we're caught between those two policies, and both of them suck. It's, uh, and actually, I'm not sure the apology, uh, 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 approaches are all that different. I, I, no, they're the same. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I, I side with Hal on this. This is uniparty stuff. Yeah, this is... Uh, um, anyway, Kevin, uh, have a nice weekend. Are, are you going to? Do I have to watch Notre Dame again this weekend? How bad would that be? Well, it, it's it's a big game uh, tomorrow. Uh, it's it's the battle for the basement with Louisville. We got to get our share of last place. Don't tell me it's on TV because uh, so, I probably uh, will watch it. You know, we'll we'll see how that works out. I'm not sure if I'm going to bother to go over there or not. Don't tell me it's on TV. Uh, on TV, if you give me just a second. Wait a minute, I told you not to tell me. tell you exactly. I know you got I know you got to run, but let's see. I can have this in... Uh, well, after watching the Bulls the last five, two games... Four, though. three, two, one, men's basketball schedule. I watched the Bulls the last two games. That was like, what's wrong? What's wrong with those guys? Yeah, they were on a little roll there for a while. Oh, it's on ESPN, too, Tom. You get oh, to watch God. it. What time? Uh, noon. Oh, I got I got I, I to find something. I got to be like cleaning my sock drawer or something. I got to find something to do. All right, thanks, bud. Yeah, I got a friend coming in from Iowa. We planned this a long time ago uh, to uh, do a uh, basketball hockey uh, uh, weekend uh, with with his son and a friend of his son. So uh, you know I, that that would be the only reason I'd go to the game. Otherwise, the only game I really there's only two games I want to see. I, I want to go to Mike Bray's last game. Um, but I also would like to go to the game on February. I think it's February 4th because the Red Panda Acrobat will be performing oh, yeah. at halftime. I might leave after halftime, but she's worth seeing. Well, you get to see the, the hockey team. SP Future's down 16 now, and Nazif is down 76. Be right back with Skrull Denninger. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time to gave my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. 
Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, Give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3450. Five six. That's seven zero eight three four nine three four five six. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Well, and welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tamar. Andrew on the board. SP Futures down 14. NASA Futures down 65. Uh, so we're heading south here. We had American Express up 8 bucks on their earnings. And we got Intel with the, the quarter from hell, evidently. They're down 320. It's over 10%. They're down to 2689. Carl, how are you, bud? Well, I'm doing quite well, other than uh, having to increase my caffeine percentage in my blood. It's uh, It has, was critically low a little while ago, but I. I think I resolved that. Hopefully, Kevin and I weren't boring you. you know, no. Oh no, no, no! I was lis- I actually was listening to your conversation. There's, yeah, one of the things that you brought up just before you closed that segment was that the whole thing about the deflator and the GDP and all this. And uh, yeah, I, I saw some people in the last couple of days uh, coming up with this. Uh, you know, la- last time we saw this signal was uh, 1930. Of course, we know what happened in the, yeah. you know, the few years after that, right? That wasn't so good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and the thing that I think is so interesting is that when I look at the, the GDP numbers, uh, you know, so, so let's take real, real GDP and the deflator, because, you know, you and I were talking about this, it was a little bit going back, uh, back and forth, right? So you go and you take a look at this, and there's, there's actually... The data that Fred has, which is probably the best economic data compilation you can find anywhere, it's the St. Louis Federal Reserve. Huge, huge database uh, stuff. A lot of this stuff goes all the way back to 1950 or even earlier in a lot of cases. So essentially, the the modern era, though, and, I, and I'm going to delineate that. It's after Nixon closed the gold window. Uh, because any any monetary-related thing that you look at prior to that, Carl, was that, was that 68 or 72? I forget. Was it? Yeah, it was a, well, it was a, everybody kind of sticks like 74 as the 
as, as when that became effective in the economy. Because that's essentially when the the first round, well, I won't say the first, the, the round of inflation there we talked about in the 70s and 80s, that's when it all started. Um, well, it depends on how, how, how technical you want to get because, and, and the reason I bring that up is that if you look at the price inflator, uh, and uh, against real GDP, okay, you, had, you look at this as percentages, so it, it makes it easy to look at because it's percentage change. Uh, there was there was actually a really serious problem that started about 1966, 67-ish in that data set. And it wasn't the first time it had happened, okay, if you look at it, you know, you look at the 1950s, there were times that there was, there was huge spikes in it. In the, in the, 90, the early 1950s, there was a there was a period of time where you saw a 15 percent deflator against a you know three percent GDP. I mean that's that's terrible. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, gee, you know, we haven't seen anything like that. Yeah, everybody says the gold standard prevented that kind of thing from happening. Blah blah blah. Uh, no, it didn't, ladies and gentlemen. And you go look at the at the data. It was extremely common. And if anything, although there has been a steadier inflation, uh, in other words, just, you know, fewer times that the lines have been the other direction, right? Uh, fewer times that the that the deflator has been below the, the real GDP number. Um, the fact of the matter is that the violence of the moves was much greater when we were before what Nixon did. Well, the the idea was, I mean, I. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm certainly not going to argue with you, but before 1950, you almost have to go to Milton Friedman's book and how the hell they even got all the statistics. Where, if you ever read, well, nobody's going to read it, but if you ever see the economic history, the monetary history of the United States up until when was it, 1960-something-something, something, until 1960 it was, I think. But every one of the charts in that thing you had to take five people a month to do, Carl. I mean, it was just, right. just, just the beginning. They were talking about hot money and this kind of money and banks. They would find this much in this bag, but it was. But I, I think there was some discipline to the gold. When, when people, <clears throat> people, I don't know what we're talking about. The gold standard is that there would be everybody had a certain amount of uh, of their dollars, their currency to the gold. Okay, and the gold was the thing. So we were in the Civil War. We started. We started. Uh, the North actually kept pretty good discipline. <clears throat> they didn't. There wasn't as much inflation during the Civil War as there was in the last three years, which is pretty right. scary when you think about it, because we were fighting a, you know, a serious war. And uh, they would, we went off the gold standard. I mean, co- countries would go off the gold standard all the time, as Carl's talking about. So it wasn't like you didn't have these blips, but there was a discipline to it. That a lot of times, the government, would come, new government, might come in and you go back to the gold standard. Do something anyway. After the war, we wanted. We, the U.S., the North, which now became the South again because we were back united, uh, we wanted to get back in the in the in the graces of the rest of the world as, as sleazy as they might have been, right, Carl? So we wanted to go back on the gold standard. So we actually went out and, and repatriated the greenbacks because they they were not they were not uh, backed by gold. They hence the name greenbacks. The only thing they were backed by was the green ink on them. Isn't that the term greenback that they were come from, Carl? Yeah, it's, it's essentially the, the, the greenback was was uh, the treasury just issuing money yeah, against things. It wasn't money. even. It wasn't the, the interesting thing. Of course, you know, back then there was no Federal Reserve, right? As right. we know it, there was Bank of the United States. Uh, but actually, it wasn't what even Lincoln a bank. Did was essentially decouple the issuance of credit 
He didn't even go through the, the Bank of the United States at the time. They just did it at the Treasury level. I don't think it even was. that we've never done since. I'll bet you a beer that there wasn't even a Bank of the United States in 1960, 1862. I don't um, think it came until 19, 1890 or something. Uh, you know, I'd have to look at that because I think there was. But, uh, but the thing is, banks of the United States, if you will, have come and gone up until the Federal Reserve. Well, we had two. <laughs> we actually had to get a little of this, Carol. We had a guy on from the from the Fed. It was on Christmas Eve. I don't know how many years ago. Well, it must have been like four or five years ago because it was the hundredth Christmas Eve was a hundred was the anniversary of the Fed. So this guy came over and he he was kind of a character, real good looking guy, real well dressed and everything. He comes over in his suit and a whole bit. This back when Fed people went to work, and uh, I was well, imagine that me not talking. This dude had an absolutely encyclopedic memory of the first and second bank of the United States. And he talked for like an hour, and it was fascinating. I, I should have made Weber dig up that interview and play it again, because it was one of the best we've ever had. And he just had an absolute encyclopedic knowledge of it. Anyway, well, what we're getting to is, is when you're on this gold standard, we were, what, 35 hours to the ounce. Wasn't that where we were forever? I think that was correct, yeah. And, every, and everybody knew that there wasn't enough gold for the amount of money dollars in circulation they were sneaking out but there was <clears throat> there was one guy i guess you could call him if you're a friend you'd call him a hero if you weren't you'd say he's the biggest pain in the ass that ever lived was charles de gaulle right <laughs> and so charles de gaulle used to actually send ships over not a, a special ship with a whole uh, you know a huge whatever bowl bowl hundred dollar bills right and demand gold remember that right well that was the, that was the thing about the gold standard was yeah. that anybody that had dollars could demand that they be exchanged. They were essentially they were demand they were essentially demand notes against yeah. the gold. Well, uh, we had those, and then we had silver certificates. I still have a couple correct. of those. Those, those, were, those were exchangeable against silver. Yeah, and I actually have a couple of those dollar. I was a couple of dollars and one two dollar bill at home. It's a silver certificate. Yeah, and and that's you know I mean that, now they're still those are still by the way you can still spend them but they're no longer exchangeable. Right, but, you, but I, they got to be worth. Uh, they're probably worth a buck fifty, not a buck. <laughs> but but anyway, what happened was somewhere along the line, we said it was either sixty-eight or seventy-two. Carl and I are, are fumbling on the date. We essentially said that's it. We're off the gold standard. Screw it, and and, and we're never coming back. Basically, right? And that's yeah. Well, essentially, it was it, it. All of this sort of ties into all the stuff that was going on at the time with Vietnam and yeah. Well, we went Cambodia and all that. We wanted to pay for the, um, for the war on a credit card like we're doing now. Right. It was a, there was a war on, and, uh, you know, ill-advised war, but a war nonetheless. Uh, remember, we do, it wasn't all that long, though, that we had uh, gone over and played in Korea. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and had managed to do that without blowing up the world. Well, so, but it, the thing that I find fascinating is all the, all the people that say, you know, that being on a gold standard, had, you know, kept us with discipline and when we went off it it was you know it was all of a sudden destroyed da, 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 da. you take a look at the at the deflated versus real GDP from say 1966 uh, through when Nixon actually shut the window and you, you will not like what you find because the, the real GDP was essentially flat um, and and yet the deflator was running about six percent well that's horrible I think real GDP might have been undercounted kind of in those days, but anyway. Well, you know what? There's always an uncertainty in, in every number, right? But the thing that's, that's interesting is that the, 
if you look at the fluctuations and just just looking at stability, um, once we came out of the 1980s and we got into the, we got through the the suck, if you will, yeah. of the 1980 you know 19 late 1970s to about 1984-85. Once we got through that, if you take a look at that that part, if you take those two numbers and you and you graph them up until the pandemic. Those were the salad days for the United States. We're talking about a nearly 40-year period of time, about 35 years, where, yes, indeed, uh, inflation was running harder than real GDP. Right? And, this, and this, by the way, is not good for the common person. Right? If there is a time when that was not true, uh, in terms of emergence, the, the only time it was not true was the few years in the in the mid to late 1990s, which is, which is curious because that was also the time during which the dot-com thing was exploding in everybody's face. Everybody was, thought that, you know, happy days are here forever, da-da-da-da-da, you know, we, we're, we're going we're to go to the moon, we're going to claim GDP, you know, the GDP of the world times 20 in all these new IPOs. Everybody's going to be rich. Uh, heck, I ran a business during that period of time. I know exactly what the sort of mentality was in the tech space because I was part of it. And and yet it was all BS and it blew up in 2000. Yeah, well, you know, but the thing is, um, Kyle, you talk about the numbers settling down. And I, by the way, <clears throat> yesterday I did what, since there was no show in the morning, uh, and I had stuff to do, and plus I haven't done a lot of research for the show in a while, and I feel bad about that because I'd like to bring some uh, unique stuff. Of course, I couldn't find some numbers, so what do I do? Instead of calling Ghostbusters, I call Carl. And immediately, of course, he has all the numbers, which meant for the next hour I would spend working on them. If he just said, screw off, chief, I would have done I guess maybe I could have a second cup of coffee. But instead, once you sent it to me, Carl, I was, I was obligated then to do something with him, right? But I, I think if you, somewhere along the line, and I don't know how this happened or who was in charge, or I'm not blaming individual people, this whole area, if you, if you go back to 2000, and maybe, maybe if you did it to 95 or something, I don't know, Carl, but most of the stuff I look at, a lot of the inflation numbers and a lot of the things, seemingly people start at 2000 and run it to 2022 or 23, we are now. Ever s- that entire 20-some year period, the numbers are horseshit. They're horseshit. Right. I'm not saying that, they're, that the people who, who gather them are, are bad people. I'm saying they've been a lie the whole way. I and if you look at the CPI number from 2000 versus today, and you look at anything you want to look at, cars, houses, uh, m- maybe you know, not TVs, not not cell phones, anything other than that, you look at uh, it, the, the numbers don't even come close to reality. Don't even come close. And I, I don't know. Oh, no, I, I don't know what that does right. to people. And the thing is, is that I mean, the, the CPI index in particular, we know when that tampering happened. That was that was part of Carter's thing. Okay, and then and it was Carter, and then it was Reagan, and okay, and it was those two administrations. So, of course, you know, people want to say, "Oh, it's all oh, those those blankety blank Democrats." Well, guess what? The blankety blank Republicans did it too, uh, because uh, I seem to remember that uh, Ronald Reagan was a Republican. Yeah, and and so you know, anybody that tries to stick this out there as a you know as a partisan thing, you're full of you know what. Um. But the thing that's, that I find most interesting about the, the data sets is that distortion in the data sets for political purposes or whatever have you has always been there. 
It's one of the reasons that I use the non-adjusted numbers in the BLS report, the labor report, and I just do my own comparison. I look at year over year. I ignore the month over month stuff for the most part. Uh, and, and the reason is it's just, uh, you know, anytime that you give somebody a black box and a knob on the front, they're going to twist it to get whatever they want to come out the other side. Actually, Carl, I had a, I had a uh, piece of paper in my office, which I, I'm going through stuff and I have not seen it. One of these days, I suppose I'll find it. I can't imagine I ever threw it out. I don't throw anything out. Uh, there was an article by somebody who did an economic history, and starting with Kennedy, you know, right after Ike, starting with Kennedy, every single president up until I think how long ago was this, up until maybe maybe stopped with Clinton, every single president, be the Republican or Democrat, made one specific decision regarding the publication of numbers that basically screwed collectively screwed everything up. It started with uh, Kennedy did something with Social Security. It wasn't counted the same way it was before. Then Johnson uh, said that he put the Social Security piece into the full budget. It used to be the, the budget had a you know, $30 million deficit, but but Social Security had a $40 million surplus because it had a surplus right. in those days. And, it, and I think Johnson's decision was to add them together, just give out the $10, the $10 million surplus number. Then Right after him, hum, well not Humphrey, never again. Nixon did something, but if taken together, they were they were they're obscene uh, compared to the numbers you used to get. You know, bef- I'm not blaming Kennedy, but but during the Eisenhower administration, where the you you, you cut out Social Security, to, all these numbers are right there for the taking, and ev- and everybody along the way made one decision. A couple of them were involving Social Security. Some had to do with with longer term, uh, you know interest numbers or some every single president made a decision that basically screwed the numbers up for we the people and it didn't oh, absolutely yeah. and it and but that's it, you know this is the nature of politics right I, what i what i think though people should pay attention to is that when you look at just the last few years in that series the GDP and the and the inflator the deflator as they call it um, so you know, inverted, right? The um, there there has not been a spike, a divergence like this since the great suck that we went through in the 1970s and early 80s. Hey, right, Carl, can I back up one second? For those of you we've been talking now for a half hour, when when you get the GDP numbers, it just came out at point two point nine percent growth on an annual basis. Well, that number means, right. let's say it's 3%. Now, we know we've, we have inflation and we've poured money into the system. So wh- what they try and do, they say, well, the, the, the real GDP, if you just add it up, the, the, the total of all goods and services countrywide, the number might be up 9% or something. And you say, Correct, well, gee, and then the deflator yeah, is subtracted out of the it. The deflator, and you say, well, yeah, but we've got 5% inflation, so the real number is 4. Right. So... You, you, you should there should be three numbers there should be the nominal the gross GDP then there should be the the deflator which is your estimate of how much of that's inflation then there's the net number correct oh, I'm rudely interrupting that's that. correct yes that's correct so go ahead so so but what I what I am pointing out here is that when you it, what you do not ever want to have people think that as long as if you have ten percent inflation, as long as real GDP is is positive, in other words, nominal GDP is more than ten, that everything's fine. 
That's BS. Yeah, oh yeah. The, the reality for people on the ground, for average Joe Schmo, is that any time that the deflator is over about 2%, and, th- and this, by the way, is why the Fed has a 2% target. Any time that that deflator is over 2%, conditions from the average man's point of view suck. From, from the bottom 70% of your population, or even 80%. Uh, the, the bottom, yeah, the bottom eighty percent get hosed, and yeah. really the only people who manage to do really, really well when you have that large spread is the point oh one percent. Right, they just have assets are, all over the place. Well, because because if you have a monopoly in that situation, you can destroy people. Yes. Okay, and they use it and do that, and and again, we're supposed to have a series of laws, you know, Sherman, Clayton, Robinson, Patman, that that make that kind of a thing a felony, a criminal felony. You're supposed to go to prison for it, but we haven't enforced that law in the last fifty years. But you know, I, I was going to say, I was going to make a comparison, uh, Carl, between you saying that people didn't really pay much attention to the gold standard, and I, I'm sure, first of all, I'm sure as hell I'm not going to argue about that, but. Right now, we're not paying much attention, if any, to the to the antitrust laws, but it's still not the same as if we flat out repealed them. They're still sort of there. I mean, I mean, it, I well, they exist. Yeah, they exist. There's, there's, there's official policy. I know, but I'm saying there's a difference between cheating on the gold standard and saying just screw the gold standard, <laughs> right? Yeah, but see, here's the other thing that goes along with that. When it comes to antitrust, those laws are on the books. It is a criminal. 10-year-in-prison felony yeah. to attempt to monopolize a restraint. Yeah, it happens every day. You don't even have to succeed in order to go to prison for it. But it is official policy of the Department of Justice not to indict any large business for this. Right. And, and that, by the way, is not within the Department of Justice's capacity in terms of the executive does not have the authority to do this. The executive is charged with the faithful implementation of the law. Well, that's right. And yet we as American people, we refuse to force the implementation of these things and to and to enforce that this happens. We just won't do it. And yet we're the ones who always end up on the short end of the stick. Well, you look at the collapse that is, that I, I would argue that COVID, bad virus, Bad viruses come around from time to time. Okay, I mean we've had, we have how many pandemic flus have we had that have come? I mean everybody knows about the one that right after World War One, but that's that's not the only one. We had a really ugly one in the 1970s where we've we had the the swine flu that came back around when Obama was president that, that everybody thought everyone was going to die and it turned into a nothing burger. These kinds of things happen. So how come you guys don't call that swine flu two? Swine flu one was Jerry Ford's. Well, you know, it's, I, I don't know. I, I guess uh, you know. Yeah, there was one during Ford too. I remember, you know, big scare then, and and of course, the, the, the mental image that comes back when people start, you know, started bringing that, you know, swine flu H one N one was, you know, was what happened right after World War One, right? We had no antibiotics, and if you got a, a bacterial secondary infection in your lungs, you were done. We were done. There's very little we could do about it because we just didn't have any tools. You know, later on, of course, you know, now we have antibiotics, but then we did not have any. And so things change over time. But if you look at, at, at the, the act that took place, I would argue that Obamacare was passed for the purpose of bailing out the collapsing medical industry. 
and and the root of that is CMS and what CMS has allowed because every one of our so-called Congress people is bought and paid for by the pharmaceutical and medical industry. By the way, the pharmaceutical industry is only a small part of this. The, the hospital side of it is way bigger way, and worse. Kyle, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know if you were on the day, but some, I get, somebody shipped me an article, uh, and it had to do with uh, how much the pharmaceuticals, and this, this is, I'll talk to someone else after the break, uh, because I want to get your idea on these numbers and why we think they're important, but the pharmaceutical... Uh, this is my big argument against people who who have a. And by the way, I'm not disagreeable necessarily. That think that think that uh, term limits are the answer. Now, I'm not I'm not all against them or anything like that. But my 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 issue is that these companies and their lobbyists they're so sophisticated that I, mean, I remember being on the trading floor where they came up with a new rule <laughs> that impacted somebody's method of trading, especially if you're so, for a sleaze bag, and there weren't very many. They would immediately think of a workaround. Okay, now what do I? Oh, do? Of course. And so my point is, in, in I don't, I'm, gonna, I'm getting to this question really slow, but uh, I'm going to ask you what's going on in Tennessee and Florida because you're the, the article that somebody sent me was how for the really the first time in the last eight to ten years, the amount of lobbying being done by the pharmaceutical companies at the state level has is dramatically increased. And I'm it gonna, has. And I'm going to say that if. You know, for instance, if we have term limits, instead of, you know, I'm, I'm saying stuff that I don't really know, instead of people's idea that you give all the money to McCarthy, Pelosi, Schumer, and McConnell, all they're right. gonna all they're gonna do is spread it around the people that before they even get there. It, it's like F, FTX giving Jesse Jackson's kid a million and a half bucks before he was even elected. I mean, all it's gonna do is force it down the chain. You're you're, you're not gonna stop. The lobbying that you think you're going to stop by term limits, I don't think. Just saying. No, I don't either. I think the only way you're going to actually stop the crazy is is to enforce law that was appropriately passed in the form of Sherman and Clayton and Robin. And and when it, when it comes to pharmaceuticals, the the worst one for the pharmaceutical industry is actually Robinson Patman. Yeah. Uh, because it's a physical good, the other two apply to services as well. Robinson Patent only applies to physical goods, but any good that travels in interstate commerce, which of course is all of the pharmaceuticals, uh, are is absolutely covered by this. And if if it was to be enforced, you would not be able to have a situation where a drug costs five dollars in Britain and costs fifty dollars or five hundred dollars in the United States. People would go to jail for that. Their companies will be broken up and find out of existence, and that's and that is something. And and by the way, these, these are not suggestions; these are federal laws. But you know what, Carl? Real quick, real, real quick, we got a. Uh, I'll take a minute here, and we got to go break. There, there is a law the insurance companies point to that, that allows. Uh, yes, it, yes. You're talking about McCarran Ferguson, yeah. and it has been to the Supreme Court twice, and the Supreme Court twice has ruled it does not protect this activity. Right, but what it what it What's happening here is, is insurance companies gain through this law, I believe, the ability to charge different prices. If say they know they know Carl's a smoker and I'm not, they can charge that, him that's, more than that's a different. That is a different thing. I, I know, but the, they but they the they've taken it. Of insurance. I know, but they've they've t- they've taken that to the extreme that now in that whole area that that an insurance company can be charged. Five thousand bucks for an appendectomy, but if I go in without insurance, they can charge me fifty. 
That's the that's the no, rule. That's the that's, that's, that's that's the problem. Is that's it's not the insurance company that is violating the law. It's the hospital. But but they've they, they've they've taken it as an umbrella for the whole industry. I I, I understand that. Yeah. But again, in the late 1970s and early 1980s, this went all the way to the Supreme Court. I, I'm telling you, it, it totally sucks. I mean, I'm with you. Well, I, well I, listen, I, I challenged Matt Gates to his face at a town hall in Florida where he had a, a whole room full of senior citizens, and he was railing about how the Democrats did this was, you know, before, uh, you know, before the current administration, of course, because now we live in Tennessee. The entire, you know, the Democrats are going to destroy your Social Security, going to destroy your Medicare. I'm, you know, I'm a Republican. I'm going to prevent that from happening. Blah 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 blah. And I stuck my hand up and said, "Excuse me, Mr. Rule of Law." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I nailed him with this in, in front of a whole room full of senior citizens. Were you escorted out? And the, the, well, so the, the reason you're getting, you're all getting screwed in this room is because is, is because the Republicans refuse to put the people in jail that are screwing you. And it's illegal. Were you and by the way, out? there's two cases that prove that this is illegal. And the Supreme Court has said you can't do this. And he, he immediately brushed it aside. Oh, I'll get back to you on that, Mr. Oh, yeah, oh, da, da, da. Oh, yeah. He never did, of oh, course. Yeah. No. Because, you know, what's, what was he going to say? The Supreme Court didn't actually decide that. It's, it's well, not, yes, they did. It's, it's not a battle that he wants to fight, nor could he fight. SP Future down 11, as if he's down 48. Be right back. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howe, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it is time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification, 
or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Well, I'm back, Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howard, Andrew on the board. SP Futures only down 10 now. NASDAQ Futures down 48. We got a little bit of a rally here because the PCE came in at 0.3%. A personal income at 0.2%. So let's see. If every month income goes up 0.2 and the prices go up 0.3, even if you believe their price numbers, and you extend that out 20 years, where does that put everybody? And that, and that's so hot, I don't think. Anyway, we'll talk about that in a second. Dow Futures down 20 over in Europe. We had mildly to the upside a little bit ago. Not so much now. DAX down 23.2%. FTSE up one. Call that flat. Kakaron that was flat is now down 21.3%. So mixed slightly to the downside, but nothing to, nothing to write home about. Uh, Dow yesterday up 205. S&P up 44. NASDAQ up 199. So four really pretty good days in a row. Over in Asia, we now have two of these things open. Nikkei's up 19. Let's call that flat. Uh, the Hang Seng traded yesterday. Uh, or traded today. We're up 122.5%. Shanghai is still closed. Their last trading date was 120, uh, so it was like a week ago almost. Uh, bonds up four basis points, 3.53. The Bund up two basis points, 2.24. Japan up three, right up at the uh, big number now at the 0.50, at 0.491. So we'll see if they try and break through the alleged uh, spot where they can't go any higher. Uh, oil up 96 cents, 81.797. So they've been spent most of the week above 80 bucks here. Right up 93 cents, 88.40. Natural gas down five cents, 288. So now you're really pissed off when you open up your gas bill and find out that it's been you've been billed at like nine dollars or something. Our our bob up two cents, two sixty three. And gold up three bucks, nineteen thirty three. Silver down twenty eight cents, twenty three seventy three. So the trade where you want to buy silver, sell gold is still not working. Although it kind of makes sense, but it's still not working. Our copper down one cent, four twenty five. We've got Bitcoin down one hundred sixteen, twenty two thousand ninety uh, ninety nine, just under twenty three thousand. We have the U.S. dollar. Up a little bit, the pound at 108 and the uh, pound, I'm sorry, 123 and the euro, euro at 108. So they've kind of read about those same numbers really for a few weeks now. And what do you got for us, Traffic Weather Sports? All right, it is uh, 7.38 here in Chicago on January the 27th. Uh, starting off with sports and with hockey, last night the Blackhawks won over the Flames 5-1 and the Coyotes won over the Blues 5-0. Going over to the basketball, the Bulls have lost their winning streak uh, losing to the Hornets, 111-96. And the Suns lost to the Mavericks, losing 99-95. Now over to Chicago weather, it is currently partly cloudy. Going to have a high of 34 today, and currently at 17 degrees. Over in Phoenix, they're currently at 38 degrees. They have clear skies, and they're going to have a high of 62. Now over to Chicago traffic, uh, plenty of red on the inbound expressways today, but thankfully no major accidents, so... I guess just the average traffic as it always is. So that's all I got. Back the, to uh, Carl, I'm going to just kind of, because some people, I mean, <laughs> I got family members, say, why do you even give a crap about these numbers? Uh, I'm going to say the reason why I do is because it's, it's sort of like Kevin and I were talking about our economic system. When you start 
kicking pe- pieces out of the of the political or economic system the way it's supposed to work. It doesn't work so well. And I'm I'm gonna say if you if you if you, if you cut away all the all the stuff like you know uh, weapons bans, abortion, take take that stuff out of the, out of the mix, the political mix. Really, when when the the business of politics is in into basically marketing to people that you want the job because you're going to manage the village, the state, the county, whatever the hell it is, better than the guy you're running against or lady you're running against. I mean, if if you get away the part that one's for abortion and one isn't, or one's for assault weapons and one isn't, that to me is all kind of well, it's not BS because it obviously means a lot to a lot of people, but it's 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 the the real. The real issue is, I'm going to run the city of Chicago. I'm going to tax you X, and I'm and in that I'm going to be so efficient that I'm going to ha- make sure you have police and fire, and the garbage is going to be picked up, and blah blah blah. And I'm not going to be corrupt, where my my opponent here is going to is is incapable of doing that. He he may get you your garbage picked up, but it's going to cost twice as much under his administration and mine, or whatever. Basically, you're you're marketing your management skills, correct? I mean, in, in most cases, and obviously, it can be overrun by other issues, but it does. Well, well, theoretically, anyway, yeah. Yeah. So, but the idea of, uh, in order for that to happen properly, there needs to be some accountability. Carl was mayor the last four years, and the, and the knucklehead ran a, a forty million dollar budget uh, deficit every year. And I guarantee you that, at mayor, I'm going to give you the same services. And I'm not going to. There's not going to be a budget deficit. There might even be a surplus. Well, the, the fly in the ointment there is Carl. Sorry, Carl. The knucklehead mayor of the last four years shouldn't have the ability to just say, "Why don't you make that forty million a twenty million plus, and we'll run with it." So somewhere along the line, there has to be just like a business has to have an audit, has to have somebody say these books are good. There has to be some numbers that you can somehow that you can believe. Otherwise, the whole system breaks down. I believe, Carl. I mean, I. Yeah, that, yeah, that's correct, and and that's essentially, you know, that's that's the essence of the of the issues that we all come up with with this sort of thing, and it's and one of the things that I think people should do, but it's it's boring, it's a little complicated. Nobody really wants to take the time to do it. Is at least once a year, go grab after sometime in about the second week of October. Go grab the monthly treasury statement for the the last month in the fiscal year. So you have the entire federal fiscal year captured in that one piece of data, that one thing. That, that, would, one be, that would be the September report, correct? That's right, because in September 30th. Yep. So you have to wait. It, it comes out usually second week of October. It's there by then. It, the monthly ones are very useful as well, but the, but that one has the entire year at one time. So, you know, and again, Christmas comes the same time every year, right? So the seasonal changes that happen are, are out of the picture by doing this. And what you will find is this last year is out of all the money that the federal government spent, $2 trillion of it was in CMS. That's Medicare and Medicaid services, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid services. The entire, that, that by the way, is considerably larger than the deficit. Oh, yeah. The entire and, and the other thing is, is if you if you go through that report, you'll also find that they also break out all the offsetting taxes that come in to pay for the spending because it is a balance sheet plus, essentially. Plus, mind you, Med- Medicare gets a break. 
and what other people are paying. Well, yes, and and one and the other thing though to keep in mind, and there is a difference here between Medicare and Medicaid. Medicare is prohibited by law from paying less than cost. In other words, trying to force providers to provide something for free, essentially. If you are a provider and you challenge the CMS system and say you're paying under costs, that then goes through an audit process. And if you win, if you're right, you not only get the money that you you should have gotten in the first place, you get a penalty. So CMS does not do this on a general as a general rule within the Medicare system. Very few of these challenges are ever brought in one because they, they, they just don't do it. They know that the penalty for doing it is severe, and so they don't. Medicaid does not have that problem, and this is one of the reasons that you will find a great disparity between the various medical institutions that will take Medicaid versus those that will take Medicare. Essentially, all of them will take Medicare because it's, it is at a profit. It is Medicaid where you run into the problem where people say, you know, well, we, can, we can't take those people because we'll go out of business. They used to, yes. way, way back in the day, Carl, in Illinois, they would give you a, a per diem on a Medicaid, a Medicaid person. didn't matter whether you had to do open-heart surgery on them. Well, that's, so there is a, there's an increase that, see, Medicaid is partly a state program. It's part state, part federal. There's a grant of funds that goes to the states for Medicaid, and then how they're administered as a state, you know, as a state-level basis. So you have states that do what is called capitation, which is exactly what you're talking about. Each, you know, they, they say, well, you live in this area, so these, these set of providers get this capitated amount, and whatever you get, you know, whatever you need, you get. Well, of course, that gives them the incentive to not do anything for you, right? Yeah. <laughs> because they got they got paid for your body as opposed to your procedures or whatever it is that you needed. And so they, you know, this. But this is this is a state by state level thing. It also means that the amount of money that that is found in CMS for Medicaid spending is not the total, because the states have to put in some of it as well. And finding out exactly how much. It requires going through all 50 of the state budgets, and it's very difficult to disentangle. And, they, and of course, you know that's they love that when you're trying to do analysis. But just at the federal level, it's a two trillion dollars. If we if we do not stop this, and by the way, EMS has runs a approximately 80 percent cash deficit against the taxes that are on the other side of the sheet. Well, no, I know, Carl. You're always talking about the government's piece of this. And by the way, you're 100 percent correct. But I think you almost have to say it's worse for what regular people are paying. Oh, it's much worse. In, in, but see, the thing is, is that when when you get down to it, this is this is the the basic screw job that occurs any time that you allow a regulated industry to get involved in in something where you are essentially forced to buy it, and then that industry is paid as a percentage. Of you know because of the the restrictions that they have on how they operate, they can only make a certain percent. And the insurance industry is set up that way; it is allowed to make ten percent. So the only way for an insurance company to grow to get bigger is either more bad things have to happen, or the bad things that happen have to get more expensive. Oh, right. Otherwise, they can't make any more money. But if you if you're if the individual is paying for it. You know, like Henry Ford in the car, or if you and I were the lucky people who invented the hula hoop, 
it was not something you absolutely needed. You might have wanted one. Every kid had one. I remember, God, I was young when they those. Well, you tell people to go to blank. Yeah. But I mean, they they were they were five bucks. I mean, if they were fifty right. fifty bucks, nobody would have had one. Right. Anyway, Carl, would you would you mind for a second if I shifted since you forced me to do all these numbers by giving me all this stuff? If I went through them just for a second to see, find out what I came up with, you might find it illuminating. Although you probably already know it. Uh, Carl sent me all the, and, and this is what you know we've been. Well, beating around a lot of examples of it. I'm just going to give you the one here that the last three years. Again, it's, you know, Carl, you can criticize my my, uh, my numbers here, but I'll tell you where, where they're weak. Uh, I went essentially did the, the GDP deflator, the number that you subtract from the GDP, back to the first quarter of 2020. And, it, and they, they, they range from minus 1.5 to 9.1. But if you average it out, it comes out to, 4.7% uh, per quarter, and that's an annual rate. So, obviously, if, if I did the math perfectly, it would be a little more because the last year it's 4.7% on top of the other two 4.7s, but it, I, did, I didn't do it that rigorously, which would make it a C paper in class, but it's good enough good enough for <laughs> us, Carl. But, so, it, bas- it basically came down with the federal government is telling us that for the last three years we've averaged 4.7% inflation a year. Now, if you believe that, I got a bridge for you for sale. But, 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 but rather than just do that, by the way, the the PCE came out today, which I don't know where the hell they get that, and they basically are saying year over year it's four point four percent. Okay, right. now, and I'm not I'm not axing anybody, axing, as they say on the south side, axing anybody to believe that I think it's BS. But I'm going to say that the price of a new home or a, a median home price in the first quarter of 2020. Was three hundred twenty-nine grand. Now it's four sixty-seven. All right, so that's fourteen percent per year. I'm not even right. compounding that either. So it's a far cry from the four point seven, correct? Yeah. And the average, the average price. Now this is government numbers, which are BS because they don't count people having to pay over a list and stuff for some of these cars. They say that the the average increase in car prices the last three years was averaged eight point three percent a year. Again, a long way from the four point seven. So we're not right. we're not even we're not even on the same planet here, Carl. I don't, I don't think. Plus, one of my favorite pet peeves is yesterday. You know what? I remember. I forgot who did the study. Was it Morgan Stanley? Somebody came out with a study yesterday and said, for the for the first time or the first time in the last bazillion years, that rent is now thirty percent of the how the living where people live. The rent is now thirty percent of your Essentially, paycheck of your of your disposable. I, mean, I don't know if it was disposable income or regular income. It was one of the two. And yet, if you go to the CPI, rent is seven point four percent of your basket, and your right. and your cost of home ownership is twenty three. They're not even on the same planet. So if if you get this constant feed of this of this garbage, I mean, eventually, it. First of all, the people who who you're electing, they. They're telling you they're doing a way better job than they are, <laughs> and, and 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 you got no, really no no chance but to believe it, Carl. I mean, what are you going to do? Go through every line of the CPI? I mean, like you and I do it because we're on the air and we we have time to do it, and it's part of my job is to look out for people. But I mean, how does a regular person, if you're constantly hit up with the onslaught of BS, what do you do about it? You talk, you always talk about people put up with it, but what exactly are you supposed to do? I mean, even even the guy you were basically bitching at in Florida, the Republican guy. I'm going to say, was he a senator or a rep? 
a rep? Yeah, well, it's rep. It's Gates. All right, so he's, he's still in office. Okay, so but I'm saying in his two year, the two years he gets elected for, what are the chances of even if he was Solomon, some combination of Solomon and Saint Paul, for God's sake, what what could he possibly do in his next two years to take on the problem that you brought up to him? Well, by himself, nothing. Okay, but the but the problem isn't that by himself nothing could be done because reality is that if if the majority of the members of Congress decided that the Department of Justice is uh, essentially choosing to ignore 100 year old antitrust law was to end tomorrow then you would have uh, the same sort of situation for medical care and pricing that you have at Walmart everybody pays the same price regardless of how they pay for their their you know their groceries or their uh, you know their their jumpy toy for their kid. Doesn't make any difference. You if if you use a credit card, you use cash. You 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 know your insurance company is paying for it because there was just a nasty storm and your trampoline got destroyed and so you went and bought another one at Walmart. Doesn't make any difference. You're all going to pay 147 dollars and 32 cents. Right. And that's it. And if we did that, if, if that happened just by itself. Ninety percent of this BS would be stopped. I, I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm trying to get some kind of a. We, we, you and I, you know, we obviously would like to see things better for everybody. We're not born complainers. I don't complain about the good stuff. I don't think you do either, because there is good no. stuff around. Um, but I'm saying, what would it if if you and I were that guy? I mean, I and I'm the way now. They don't even talk to people. Well, that's never been my problem. You know that. Uh, I would, I would, if it was me, I, I did this when I was on the board of the SIBO, for God's sake. I never, if there was an issue I cared about, I never just lobbed my vote in and said I lost and walked out the door. I would, I would be contacting people, some breakfast, some lunch, maybe an adult beverage or two. And I would say, look, I really feel, feel about this and here's why. And I, I would try and turn people, not turn people, but, but explain to people why I felt the way I did and why they should feel the same way, in my opinion. And you know what? A few times it actually really worked, Carl, but I don't, I don't know. That I have a liver, my liver would be the size of Rhode Island if I tried to do that to people and to have a drink with everybody in, con- in Congress to try and turn them, turn this medical thing away from the lobbyists and these drug companies, and these hospitals. I don't think I can drink enough. Well, yeah, I mean it's uh, <laughs> that is part of the problem. But it's uh, it, people look at at the crazy stuff that went on and just say, well, you know, everybody just had this myopsychosis and, you know, and, and Trump was scared out of his wits and, you know, and got bamboozled and Biden is a doddering old fool and, that, you know, and, the, and the lobbyists all showed up. I, I, I take an engineering point of view towards most problems. Why? Well, because I write software. I mean, that's, I've made a living as pulling the wire and writing software. Yeah. <laughs> so... I mean, it either works or it doesn't. There isn't. There isn't this. Well, you know, I can I can take a ten percent failure rate, or I, you know, it's it's okay if we have this thing that uh, you know it manages to whack four percent of the people that take it because you know the other ninety six are fine. Uh, I kind of look at it as as the railroad crossing, uh, where you have you know if you had no if you had no warning signs, no lights, no gates, ten thousand cars could go across that crossing for everyone that got smushed. Yeah, but it's still right. bad for the one guy who gets nailed. Well, but but see, the thing is this: the way our that our medical system, the way that our our sociological system, our political system looks at this, is that that actually is it is less likely for you to get whacked 
by a car on a railroad crossing with no lights, no warning, no gates, no nothing, than it is for this, you are more likely to die from this virus. Yeah, well, yeah. Okay? Well, guess what? We spend billions of dollars putting up sawbucks, lights, bells, gates, and maintaining those things because we consider one car that gets smushed by the train to be one too many. Yeah. And and when you take an engineering view towards problems, this is how you look at things. You realize that you can't, you cannot make things infallible because there's always a better idiot. <laughs> well, I mean, there are, there are people that will actually sit there on a railroad track when they're blocked. They can hear and see the train coming and they don't get out of the car. I, well, they, they panic and try and they panic and try and save the car, make see if the car runs. I, I, I understand yeah, that. Yeah, I'm yeah. saying, you know, Murphy always makes better idiots, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, so you can't solve every single problem, but the engineering point of view is that failure is unacceptable. Period. Therefore, we, that is our goal. I don't ever want to see us in this situation, but I would bet that if you and I ever drove over a railroad track and the car just stopped right there. The first thing we would do is try and restart the car instead of open the door. Yes, except if the train's coming, I'm going to get out and I'm going to run. Yeah, I'm saying, but the first thing, you're going to give yourself, you're going to gauge how much time you think you have to get out and run. In the meantime, you're going to try and start the car. And you're um, gonna, yes, but when I get inside that margin, yeah, well, <laughs> not anymore. That's the, that's the thing. But then big things, they don't look like they're moving. So, you know, it's funny, Carl, we got well, we have a few minutes, but... One of the things you're talking about is all, all the the screw-ups you see in government and the, and the screw-ups you see in business. If you, I'm not asking anybody to do this, but I've always found it fascinating. Obviously, that's why it worked at Pullman. If you read the history of railroading for like the 125 years, everything, it's, it's like watching the Three Stooges. Every male personality is embodied in the Stooges, right? The control fleet, right. the crazy guy, oh, yeah. and the guy, and the guy who just wants to get everybody to get along, the you know, the the the, fend, the 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 fence mender type of guy. I mean, it's it's the same thing. But every every dirty trick, every every governmental screw up, every good thing government did, every good thing business did, every screw up thing business did, every crook in the world, everything is embodied in the first hundred years of railroading. There there are no new tricks. It's like. So right. you, like you can't invent a new fetish. You can't invent a new trish, new trick that guys like Jay Gold didn't already invent. I mean, it, yeah. Well, but this, you know, I mean, you look at you look at, for example, the, the you know the way that that brakes work on train cars. Okay, the they are held in the off position by a neutral amount of air pressure. Yep. If the pressure goes either direction, the brakes are turned on. So if you so if you want the brakes on, that's fine. But if the line breaks. If the airline breaks, the line, the brakes come on. Yeah, they come on. So they, it, it, that was Westinghouse, by the way, came up with yeah. that. Do you know, and if anybody it, ever watches... He, but he did that because failure is not an option. Train cars barreling into a town at 75 miles an hour, with, you know, with, yeah. when the coupler fails and there's no longer an engine on there, slowing down, is not a choice. Well, you know what else it was, is a train car on a siding... You don't want the thing rolling down and getting on the main line and being in the way. So you want the brake. Oh well, yeah, and then, and then the train hits it. Yeah, right. the train hits it. But you know, if talk about less less stupid comment of the morning for me. I promise. If ever, everybody, if you ever watch those old movies like Buster Keaton and those people in it, and you see the guy up top running around turning the wheel. Before, oh yeah. Before Westinghouse, 
for those people who don't, that's why your trains were like what six, seven cars, because every right. every car had its own brake, and there was a guy. Well, still still does, but yeah, right. but that's a last ditch backup. Well, there, there there was a guy that his yeah. job, no matter what the weather, whether it was raining, windy, or whatever. He ran around on the tops of the cars, and he turned that wheel, which turned like it was going down a big hill. He'd have to turn maybe two or three of them. <laughs> but talk about a talk about a job. <laughs> what, what was the life expectancy of those guys? <laughs> what a week! <laughs> yeah, well, I suspect if you fell off, zero. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what. I bet you wouldn't want to fight, or I'll try and climb one of those guys. I bet they were. Oh they, yeah. I bet they were absolute. I mean, they, they had to be physical specimens to climb up and down in the rains and the snow and and turn that wheel. I mean. You don't want to arm wrestle a guy in the on the uh, cable car line in in, in uh, San Francisco. Those things are all handbrake. Oh, yeah, you ever see exactly. forearms, forearms on one of those dudes? <laughs> you know you don't want to get clocked by one of those guys. <laughs> it's just you know I just look at at so much of the stuff that's gone on here, and I say if if we if we took uh, an engineering point of view towards any of this, and and you're not gonna you know, you're not gonna be perfect, but the the engineer says one of the differences is. When an engineer screws up, bridge collapses. Yep. If if his calculations were wrong, he goes to jail. Yeah. Okay. If he puts a stamp on something that's BS, he goes to jail. If it turns out that the reason the bridge fell down is because he wrote the specs correctly, but somebody bought steel that was made in China and was substandard, didn't have the correct strength, or the concrete had contaminated sand in it, or you know whatever it is. The people who did that go to jail. Yep, or should. A lot of times they don't. Well, should go to jail. Yeah. But you know, but the thing is, is that the the whole point of an, of looking at things from an engineering point of view is not only that you make the calculations and you say failure is, is you know, we we don't accept that one in ten thousand cars is going to get smushed by a train. Right. We, we the the acceptable number of cars to get smushed is zero. Then what we do is we look at the failures and we say, okay, why was the car smushed? And as soon as we find that signal, if we've made a change in something, if we've done something different, we stop. Right. Uh, way, we didn't do any of that. And and no. you know what? But the thing is, Chief, this is not this is not just new with the pandemic. We no. haven't done this in the medical and the political sphere in so long. There's, there's no that we consider these failures to be okay, and they're not. There's no there's no even uh, going going through a bill two years after you pass it to find out if it has the same consequence. We, any kind of review, we we stop. Hey, I'll run over thirty seconds. I'm going to give you one one uh, a uh, a train trivia question. Well, I'm, I'm giving you sure. I'm giving you half the answer. What was the origin of the phrase "the real McCoy"? Oh, good lord, I don't know. You whoa whoa whoa! I stumped the Carl. Yeah, you stumped you stumped the Carl. I get to I stumped the Lou once a year. It's the first time I think I've ever stumped you. It used to be when when the when the hubs turned on the on the on the car. Obviously, they would run out of oil or grease, and people right, would, they get hot. And the reason, yeah. well, the reason for a caboose guy was he had a job on his train, but his main job was the train that went by. He would look and see if any of this, any of those things were smoking. And you'd okay, have to, you have to run out and you'd put oil in there. Well, right. there, there was this actually an African American dude who uh, invented a, a continual oiler, which would put like a drop in there every mile or something. And the guy's name was McCoy. And, it, and when when you put that on there, it worked tremendously. I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen one of the original models, but it was known as "I want the real McCoy." Otherwise, I'm out there having to oil it by myself because the other ones don't work. 
That was the origin. The guy's name was McCoy. Oh, there you go. And he was this black dude that invented uh, the permanent or the continual oiler for train cars, for train wheels. Yeah. There you go. All right. Well, there you go. <laughs> On that note, S&P Futures are down 15. Hey, I stumped the car. I'm going to write this down. Take a note, Andrew. Stumped the car. Whatever the date is. By the way, Carl, thank you so much for sending me all that stuff. And uh, I think it was. Oh, thank pr- you anytime. I think it was some pretty good stuff we gave people. I went through it and uh, just comparing the numbers. I'm not making a political statement. I'm just telling you what the numbers are. And a bunch of areas up to you to do the addition yourself. Nasdaq Futures down 64. Uh, God, we have all kinds of stuff to talk about next week. Who knows, Carl? I, I, I was want to talk to you about the Chevron stuff. Maybe if it's still an item, we'll talk about it next week. Back on Monday, stocks and jacks. Yeah, let's cut through the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.